Now, what I want to do is we begin the message, and we hit the recording to begin the message. Uh, what I want to do is read a scripture verse to you that's kind of going to anchor everything that we look at today. And this is the passage. It's out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And it says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And I just love that verse. Like you could camp out, we could camp out on that verse and, and talk and teach and wonder through it for weeks and weeks. But there is so much there. There is power in these words, isn't there? And one thing I want to point out is that in this passage written by the Apostle Peter, he, he's not just talking to one person when he says you. It's actually the plural word for you. And so what he's saying there is you know, uh, y'all, all y'all are a chosen people, right? All of you all, he gets his southern on, y'all, all y'all are a royal priesthood, all y'all, right? And it's kind of like he's trying to drive the point home, like it's not just that, like do you people understand, do we understand what happened because of Jesus, that, that, that he says it four different ways, you are a chosen people, like before the chosen people were just the people of Israel, but now with Jesus, you are a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood, before that was just a category very narrowly set aside for a certain folks in a certain line, and he's saying, no, 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 you, all y'all are a royal priesthood. You, not just the nation of Israel, not just the nation that the Jewish people make up, but you are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. And I think he asks it that way because he's like, hey, this is important. Like, do we get this? Like, everything changed. And for the people back then, they would have noticed more quickly than we do because they were very much aware of how everything had changed because of Jesus. I love how the message says it. Um, it says it this way. In fact, let's read this out loud together. Ready? It's on the screen. You are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. I love that translation. I think it spells out so clearly for us. I mean, in fact, let's, let's do an open book quiz, ready? Open book quiz with it on the screen now. Okay, who is chosen by God? You, right? All y'all, right? Let's say all y'all. All y'all, right? And, and what kind of work, one word, what kind of work are you chosen for? priestly work. Now that right there might mess with some of our categories, some of our assumptions. In fact, some church traditions get very serious about how you have to be trained and ordained in order to do priestly function. The problem is you don't find it in the Bible, right? And so, so this verse right here can kind of mess with us because, you know, when we think about priests and pastors and ministers, you, maybe you'll think about, you know, guys like me or Jim or Troy, like the church professionals, you know, and we've got the church professionals and everybody else is important, but, you know, they're kind of secondary. Well, if that's kind of your view on it, that's not something that squares up with Scripture. See, see, because according to not just this place, but multiple places in the New Testament, every believer is a minister. Every believer. If you follow Jesus, you are a minister. And so we're going to press on that a bit today. And so let me pray as we do that. Father, thank you uh, this morning. I pray that you would encourage us, 
that you would teach us, that you would let us see ourselves uh, as your people, how we are partnered together with you, that there is no division, no hierarchy of pastors or clergy or laity, but that God, all together, every one of us that follow the name of Jesus, we are ministers. And I pray you'd inspire us this morning uh, and that you would reshape our categories if this is a new thing for us. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. All right. So way back when I graduated from high school, anybody want to guess what year I graduated from high school? 2003, thank you. Yeah, I've got making friends back here. 88? Yeah, 88 is great. Any other 88s here, right? Just a few of us old people right there, right? Yeah. But you had to do like that great over and over again, so you're even... No? Okay, I'm just checking, Troy. Just checking, Troy. But when I graduated from high school, um, I was a part of a, a church, and, and, and I remember, I think it was the Sunday before our graduation ceremony, what, what happened was that um, the pastor would bring all the graduates up on the stage, you know, and, and he would recognize us. The church gave us like a Bible and a book, and, and um, he went down the row of all of us high school graduating seniors, and he said, uh, what, what are your plans for after graduation? And they would just, you know, walk down with the mic. And when he got to me, I said, well, I'm going to go to Bible college college and I'm going into full-time ministry. And his response to my answer to the question was to look out at the congregation and say, oh, isn't that great? And I think I even got like applause that, that others didn't get. Like, oh man, that is great, right? And then he continued on, you know, asking, well, okay, what are you going to do? And what are you going to do? And you and you and finished us all up. And I mean, in one sense, I really do appreciate his encouragement but I thought back about it later and actually had a conversation with one of my friends who was on the platform at that time about how it landed on them. See, because some of these other kids, what they were saying they were going to go to school for was to, to be teachers and doctors, and, or maybe they were going right into business, or they were studying business. Some of them were going to the military. And although, think about this, like, well, like specifically with teachers, teachers are among the most influential figures in the life of anyone not a, really a lot of folks, I think, in that room thought of the young graduates who were planning to go into teaching as, well, they were going into ministry. And in fact, it was really apparent, both in the words that my pastor chose and in his body language, that, you know, okay, their ambitions, these other folks on the platform, those were a good thing, but me going into vocational church ministry, that was a great thing. Because in that church bubble, which again, there were some good things and some not so good things that came out of that, but, but in that church bubble, what had significance, what had meaning in the minds of the people in the church I was in in high school, what, what had significance was ministry, and ministry to them was defined in this very narrow parameter of church ministry, and, and preferably vocational church ministry, at least if you want to have an impact is what many folks just unconsciously believed. Well, then I went off to Bible college, and we got through those years, and a lot of men and women that I went with and to, to Bible college, we, we all did our schooling, and lots of them got degrees, so they could work in churches or as missionaries. But the truth was that a few years after getting their degree or being done with school, most of the Bible college graduates that I knew that I'd gone to school with, they were actually working in other kinds of jobs, um, as in not jobs in a 
church building. Um, in fact, about a decade after I graduated from uh, college, I remember one of my college roommates from back in the day, he, he emailed me, and in the email he mentioned that, you know, gosh, among all of his college buddies, only me and one other guy were working as pastors anymore. And he was no longer working in a church. And he actually seemed to feel a little guilty about, you know, not, quote, not being in ministry. Which I think is just so sad. So sad. Um, one more quick sh short story kind of related to this. I, I remember hearing about another guy um, who had been, as a young man, on track to go into vocational church ministry. He'd been doing the seminary and Bible college thing. Until he had time to step back and kind of wonder about what his real passions were, what his real giftings were, and when he did that and took a serious look, he changed his mind, he changed his vocational direction, he changed his major, went to a different school, and when he changed his mind, he was told by this well-meaning pastor who had kind of been a mentor to him as he grew up. He was told that, that this young man was told that his decision was a source of great disappointment for his pastor because, and this is pretty much a direct quote from what um, the young man said, his pastor told him this. He said to him, if you're not involved in full-time vocational ministry, you can't be an impact player in the kingdom of God. And that stuff just... It just it makes me mad, and it breaks my heart, because sadly, that's not uncommon. That what he was told was not uncommon. When people, young people especially, change direction or go into a different field, they hear that kind of thing a lot. See, my friend and this guy I just told a story about, and lots of the people I went to Bible college with, they might be really godly men and women. They might be incredible parents. They might be wonderful friends, great employers or employees. But in the view of some, I believe, misguided Christians and pastors who say things like, if you're, if you're not in full-time vocational ministry, what you do for a job, it might be good, but it isn't great. Now, you might be wondering, you know, why I started out with these kind of three stories to kick off the message. And one of the reasons I wanted to tell those three stories is because I want to shine a light, a really bright light on this assumption this assumption about what some people think, you know, being in ministry means. Because it's an assumption that I think is fairly common in at least the larger culture around us. Um, and it's an assumption that some church people have. I don't know that it's as strong here at Hope, but maybe we just haven't thought about it. And so I want to clarify today uh, about, you know, what real ministry, quote-unquote, what counts as, you know, quote-unquote, real ministry and what I want to do is paint a picture of our lives and of ministry that I hope will be an encouragement to each and every follower of Jesus in this room today or listening to the podcast. Now, if you've been with us the last few weeks, we're in a series of messages. We're calling it The Heartbeat of Hope. And over these months here, we're highlighting some of the things that are really near to our heart as a church. Uh, we started out a few weeks ago. We kicked off the series with a message about no perfect people. Um, and then the next week, Will Hopkins, our youth pastor, he preached. And I mean, the first time in a year that he's been in here, and he did great. Really proud of him. And then last week, um, if you were here, Nisa, didn't she just knock it out of the park? Man, yes. She was fantastic. 
really, really, if you missed those messages, I want you to go to the podcast and, and, and listen this week. Um, and now we're continuing to move through this series. And for this month of October, we are going to be focused squarely on what it looks like to have a heart for others. Like, what does it look like for, for having a heart for others, to, to minister to their needs, to love and serve like Jesus does and did, and for us to do it right here, right now, through our everyday lives. And so this week, our, our first focus is just to look at kind of our heartbeat as a church for the whole vein of ministry. And as a reminder, that each one of us is called into ministry, like the passage from First Peter that we read right at the top, uh, you are priests, you are ministers, all y'all are, Right? So, spoiler alert, here's kind of the summary of the message of where we're going today. Um, there's no cliffhanger because, uh, I'll say it this way, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are, quote, in the ministry. Your ministry is your life. Now, ministry, back off of that a little bit here, ministry um, as a church is something that we really value, and we value doing ministry inside our walls of our church, and we value it outside of our walls. Um, it's something we really, really value, and we could list a ton of things, but we just had recently a team that went and served a group of Native American pastors back in September, led by the Selens and the team that they had with them, and that's one way we get outside of our walls and serve others. Um, the, the Be the Church, Serve the City thing that Jim was just talking about. Something we're going to do at the end of this month where we're going to join in with the city of Chandler and other churches and businesses and nonprofits to just pitch in and, and love and serve our city in places that are in need, just spending that time from 8 a.m. until 1 o'clock doing that. Um, we're looking at better ways to partner with a local school around here. That's another way we serve outside of our walls. Every year, we have a trip that goes to Mexico and helps build a home through one mission. Um, we're also working on some global mission stuff through uh, some partnered missionaries that we have to go to South America uh, and do a mission trip, I think, maybe next year. So, listen, we do local, we go local, and we go global. We do both. And we do lots of other stuff, and it's really amazing for a church our size, the different ministries that are carried out here at Hope. And those are just some of the ways we do ministry together. But here's the truth. Um, as fun as it is to sometimes go somewhere, <laughs> you don't have to go anywhere to you know, do kingdom ministry because your ministry is your life. Wherever it happens to be that you're living your life, your ministry is your life. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're at, wherever you go in your day-to-day -day life, you get to bring the kingdom of God there. You get to bring the love of God wherever you go with you. And friends, that is the ministry that we are all called to. That's the ministry. It's that simple. Now, some people would hear that and think, well, that's a little bit of a stretch, right? Seeing your everyday life is, you know, your ministry. Like, isn't ministry supposed to be kind of church stuff? Like, like, right, didn't Jesus say something like, you know, let your lights shine in church, right? Isn't that? No, not, not actually. Jesus didn't say let your light shine in church. Uh, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, let your light shine before Others, come on, y'all can read. Let your light shine before 
others, right? That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let it shine out there, outside these walls, outside this building, out there where people can see it, where they will notice your kindness, your generosity, your heart. And when they see that, that will help them begin to notice that God is real. Not because somebody convinced them with theology and arguing. No, no, no. They'll believe that God is real through the way that they see us love and serve and give. Now, with that, I'm not saying that we don't ever, ever use words, right? We don't ever use words. But I do think it's interesting in that passage and around that passage, Jesus, Jesus never says, hey, listen, go out there and start preaching on the corner and yelling at those dirty, rotten sinners, right? He never says that. But lots of people think that's what ministry outside our wall has to look like. Uh, not from our church, but other churches. Now, Jesus says here in so many other places, Jesus says, cultivate a heart for the people around you. Go out there into your everyday life. Start living a life that's hard not to notice, full of the love and of the grace of God. And guys, that's the kind of community that we want to be known as here at Hope Covenant. That's the kind of impact that we want to have, where our impact, even though we have an impact here in the church building, uh, and we want to have an impact in this building, but our primary impact is not right here in our physical church building. Our, our primary impact takes place out there, where people live and love and laugh and work and play out there, in our city, in our neighborhoods. And that's actually what it means for us to be the church. To be the church. To be the church is not us coming here and doing stuff around. No, no, it's us leaving the church. We are the church, right? If you were here for the teaching a few weeks ago, the church is not the building. The church is the people of God gathered together. So you are the church, and when you are not here, there is no church. Okay? There's a building here, but you are the church wherever you go. So for us to be the church, to be in ministry, takes place out there beyond our walls. I want to try to make this practical, and this might be too long of a sentence, but um, here's a summary here. The most natural and effective way for people like you and me to have an influential ministry, or, or like Jesus said, to shine your lights, um, the most practical way to do that in our community, in our culture, is for us to live and love in such a way that people can taste and see that God is good because they taste and see that God is good through you and me. That's where they hear it. That's where they find it. Through you and me, that's where they discover it. That was Jesus' intention, which is a different thought for some of us, maybe. Uh, it definitely would be a different thought in some, some churches and places because, because just it, probably it's more common in many places or churches, um, especially if you're like me, right? We grew up in church. If you grew up in church like I did, th then you hear, you know, hey, someone's in ministry, right? So we think, okay, being in ministry, if you grew up in the church bubble like I did, uh, being in ministry means that you work at a church like I do, or being in ministry means that you spend lots and lots of times in the church building, um, and so lots of us, I think, tend to think that ministry means, you know, church stuff. And, and there is an element of that which is ministry, absolutely. 
But the problem is if we stop right there, then the paradigm that people have, especially, again, if you've grown up in the church or been a part of a church bubble for a significant period of time, we, we can mistakenly begin to assume that, that church buildings, this is where the ministry happens, right? So if somebody says, I'm involved in ministry, then we think, oh, they're at the church building a lot. That's this, our assumption. Um, and that mentality, maybe it's not always spoken this way, but I, I think it's the way we tend to live in our American church culture. Uh, the, the mentality that's pretty prevalent is, is this. Our, our, our approach is, hey, come and get it, right? Our approach is, come and get it. That's our approach to ministry. Um, I think even seeing people come to follow Jesus, we can kind of be a little bit that way. It's kind of like this. Um, hey, we have it. You need it. So come and get it. And where is it? Right here in church, right? And I just wonder, <laughs> I just wonder what, what Jesus would say about that. Um, and what we want to suggest here at Hope Covenant, is a shift in mindset. That if we are constantly primarily thinking of all the ministry has to happen in here in the church building, we want to have a different mindset. Um, a different mindset than come and get it. Because no matter how good you are at inviting people to come to church, listen, some of them are never going to come and get it, right? No matter how good you are at it, some people will never you know, come and get it. Um, so what we want to suggest is not just come and get it, which isn't a terrible thing. It's not just come and get it, but we also want to say we need to have the mentality of go and give it. Not just come and get it, but let's also go and give it. To go out there, to serve somebody, to bless somebody, to go love somebody, not just here in the walls of the church, but out there. And I think, as a church, we've been really good at this. Long before I got here, we've been very good at go and give it. We do that quite a bit. Um, and again, I'm, I'm super excited about the end of this month on that Saturday morning, October 26th, I think it is. Right? We're going we're gonna to go and give it. We're going to serve in ways that I hope kind of surprise our city leaders. Like, wow, that smaller church, we got all these massive big churches, but that smaller church, wow, they showed up in, in droves. I hope that we can amaze them with how many of us go, hey, this is our heartbeat as a church to go and give it, to go and serve, no strings attached um, for us to go and love our neighbor. So yes, we do want to say, hey, come and get it, come to hope, invite people here, but we don't want to do that at the expense of go and give it. And let me clarify. When I say that primarily we want to go and give it, um, I want to clarify. Am I saying, like, hey, listen, you shouldn't bring people to church? Like, no, that's not what I'm saying. See, we want to do both. That's why we plan special Sundays that are excellent for inviting your friends to come to Hope, um, like the chili cook-off in a couple of weeks, right? Hope is just a great place to bring people that are not sure about where they stand with God or if they believe in Jesus, but so bring them here, bring them here. But bringing them here is just one part of you walking with them in other places in their life. Like, it can't be the only thing. It needs to be a part of going and giving it to them and to other folks. And I, I just, I've been a part of churches before 
where, where we just have focused on come and get it, and we have neglected the importance uh, of, of emphasizing to the people in our congregation, um, and I'm guilty of this, uh, that it's not just come and get it, not just, hey, be good inviters so that we grow the church, whatever, um, but we forget to, to emphasize go and give it, whether they show up in the doors here or not, go and give it, go and love, go and serve, go represent Jesus. We really need both. So then how does the church, how does this Sunday morning church gathering service thing we do fit in all this? And I want to look at that next for a moment, because if we're supposed to go and give it, and there's no strings attached, and we're not just trying to get people to, you know, come join our church. We'd love it if they join our church, by the way. We're not against that. But that's not our only aim. Um, in fact, I, we just recently moved, and somebody in the neighborhood, boy, they right away strong pitch to come and visit their church, visit their church, visit their church. Good guy. I was like, oh, I wonder, I hope our hope people invite people that well. Um, he finally let up when I said, you know, because I told him we're at Hope Covenant, which isn't far away, and, and uh, he finally let up. I said, well, I'm going to be really hard to recruit since I'm the pastor at Hope, so, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I had fun, though. I strung him along for a while, but... Um, <laughs> So that's fine. Come and get it. But we want to go and give it. And I, I want to paint the picture of why it's still important for us to be the church together. There's many reasons, but I want to use an illustration. And uh, let me be honest. I hesitate to use this illustration because it involves sports. And I know that preachers overuse sports analogies. And uh, listen, I don't do a ton of them, right? Even though I love sports. I do love sports. Um, and by the way, please, um, you know, go Vikings and please pray for my twins right now, okay? My Minnesota twins. <laughs> They're looking terrible. But, um, and I know not everybody here is into sports, but I'm going to use a sports analogy today, and I hope that whether you like sports or not, you can connect with this illustration, this image. I hope that it kind of locks into our heart. I, I think I stole most of this from uh, something Dave Johnson said a long time ago. No surprise. So um, let me start this way. I like our building. I really do. In fact, over the last 20-ish years, Many people, people who have come and gone, people that are here and are no longer here, have given millions of dollars so that we could have this place as a center for worship and ministry. I am so glad we don't have to sit up and tear down in high school all the time. There's a young guy that I'm walking with um, from another not far away town, but their, uh, their church is about a hundred, or I'm sorry, about a thousand people, and uh, their school told them, hey, in two weeks during fall break, we're not going to have the air conditioning on, so you guys can't have church, so good luck. Um, I'm glad we don't have to deal with that. I'm glad we don't have to do a setup and tear down, right? I really like our building, and by the way, we only owe, I think, about 125000 on this building. We have, you, it's been paid way down, yes, so hallelujah. Wonderful. Wonderful gift is this building to us. Uh, it's not extravagant. We need some upgrades and some repairs. Uh, but I am grateful, grateful, grateful. But I wonder what would happen, what might shift in our minds when we look around this room. Some people call this the sanctuary, and I'm like, really? There's basketball hoops and... I call it the worship center. So anyway, um, uh, but, but what if we started to look at this room even? This room... Um, like a locker room. Instead of a, instead of a sanctuary or instead of a worship center, we think of this as a locker room because just like a locker room in sports, the church building here, that's not where we play the game. Right? This church building that we come to, um, this is not where we live our lives, so we live our lives out there. Now, the church building here that we have 
uh, where we gather each week, we do that, like the locker room, we do that to prepare for the game, which is important. Like, preparing for the game is important. So we gather here in the locker room to figure out how to be prepared for the game. We come to get instruction, teaching, encouragement. Uh, We make adjustments. Um, Maybe we need to get reminded of something important that we need to do while we're in the game. Uh, Sunday morning here, the locker room, this is where we come to heal so we can get back in the game because sometimes during the week, I don't know about you, but I stumble and I fall and I fail and I'm pretty convinced that I can't really play this kingdom of God game anyways. Um, and, And maybe during the week, the real week and real life out there during the real game outside these walls, maybe during the game we blew it really bad. Maybe we even feel like we've been disqualified. But when we blow it, we get to come back here into the locker room. We are reminded of God's grace, of God's love. This is where we get back on our feet. This is where we ask for prayer. And every week there's people praying for us. And I think it's been interesting to notice some of the shift in American church culture because a lot of places we behave like church is just a consumer deal. Um, We put on a better show, um, and that's where people go. If they want a show, that's the church that they go to. Um, And so if there's not a church that puts a lot of guilt and shame on people to pressure you to never miss church... Um, people seem to tend to see church Sunday morning as very optional. And since we don't practice and do, um, we don't do pressure, we don't do guilt here at Hope, um, you don't hear that kind of thing from us. But let me say it this way, we don't do guilt, we don't do pressure, but I do want us to think about how crucial it is for us to come together and to make worshiping together a high priority in our life. One reason is we, we do. We notice we miss you when you're not here. You are a part of the body of Christ. Whether anybody even says hello to you or talks to you or you have much interaction, it matters that you're here. Um, another reason that it would be good to come, and one of the reasons I've made it a practice in my life to attend church, whether I'm pastoring or not, is that even when I don't really feel like going, it's amazing how if I will open my heart, God will do something when I show up on a Sunday morning. He'll speak to my heart during worship, or I'll be reminded like, oh, that's right, I do, I love Jesus. Man, I forgot this week, I've been going this way, and I'm now reminded about Jesus and his love and his goodness. Oh, what if I hadn't been here? Or I hear a message that kind of sneaks, God uses to sneak up on me somewhere, because he's been trying to talk to me about this thing in my life, and I'm not really listening or paying attention, but I practiced even the discipline of showing up here, and I give God my attention. I give him my time, even if it's just a short amount, and it's amazing what he will do. So while Sunday morning is the locker room, um, and it does matter, I also want to say this, like it does matter, but hear me, this is not the ultimate thing. Like this in the room, important, but it is not the game. It's the locker room. In other words, we're not doing the kingdom of God thing in, ter- in terms of shining our lights in our neighborhoods when we gather here as a church. We shine our lights when we leave this building and love our neighbor out there. We let our light shine out there. So while it is important, right, to be here, doing the work of the kingdom of God, 
having an influential ministry isn't just this Sunday thing alone. See, the kingdom of God deal, doing ministry, being a minister in your world, um, involves going out there. And it involves coming here, gathering in the locker room, and then going out there and playing the game. We come in here to be encouraged and re reminded. We stop. We give God some space to heal us, to love us, to challenge us here when we gather. And then we go out there, and we needed it in here because when we go out there, we're going to do some really hard stuff that's very kingdom-minded, things like, you know, loving my enemy. <laughs> I'm going to need the locker room. <laughs> I'm going to need a good solid halftime rest up to tell of some of my enemies, right? And that's the ministry of the kingdom of God. That's real ministry. It really is. It's influential because, friends, again, your ministry is your life, your everyday life, wherever you go, whatever you do, wherever you live, that's your life. Now, I want to touch on the idea of calling for a moment, because people, some people say, well, listen, I can't figure out what my call is. Like, what's my calling? Anybody wrestle with that ever? I've spent lots of years wrestling with, well, what's my calling? What's my calling? Um, and I think it's a great question. It's worth thinking and praying through, and, and I'm just going to take a simplified shot at it here, um, because I'm here to tell you that especially in a broad sense, the primary call of God, you ready, on your life is not your vocation. Your call is not your job. Your call is not your career. In fact, I'll use myself as an example because I'm the kind of person that some people look at and they think, especially if they live in the church bubble, they think, oh, Doug has the call, right? <gasps> Doug, you found your call, right? Now, well, here's, here's the truth, the absolute truth about me. The primary call of God on my life is not to preach sermons, the primary call of God on my life is not even to lead this church community. It's, it's not even vocational ministry. See, the primary call of God on my life is exactly the same as his call on your life. And this is the primary call. Ready? This is the primary call of God on our lives. It's this, to be a people who are partnering with God in serving our world by giving away the love and grace and truth of God. That's all of our call. That's for all of us. And so we take that call, and it looks different in every one of our lives because we take it out into the context of whatever it is we do for a living, right? Be it a pastor or a plumber, be it a carpenter or a coach, be it a, a bus driver, a business person, the vision of the kingdom of God that Jesus invites us into, what Jesus calls each of us to, to have a ministry influence out there. Because doing... Your life as ministry out there in your world, in your life, is the primary call that you have. Because your ministry is your life. I want to tell a story, and then I want to give you a chance to respond to this. Um, I'm going to tell you about a guy named Jim. He's from our home church back in Minnesota at Church of the Open Door. Uh, Jim is a mailman in Minneapolis. He has a walking route, so in my neighborhood, you guys, does anybody have like a regular mailbox so you don't have to run up with the key? A few of you do. That's amazing. We have to go up to the big bank of mailboxes and, you know, put your key in. 
But Jim, he goes house to house, door to door, um, has a walking route. He's done it for many, many years. But Jim knows this. Being a mailman isn't his calling. He understands that his call is to give away the life, the love, the grace of God. And he gets to figure out how to do that in the context of delivering mail. Now, at first, he said he wasn't really sure how to do, you know, this ministry thing in the context of, you know, mail. So he just started asking, God, what do you want me to do? And he just started getting these ideas. Um, as he began his route years ago, he started to just pray quietly, just pray for the people that he was delivering mail to. And he'd deliver the mail, and he'd pray that, that somehow this person, whether he'd met him or not, that they would come to know Jesus. He'd pray, God, I don't know their pain. I don't know their fear. I don't know their situation. But God, bless them, heal them, help them. And God, he would pray this. God, if there's any way that you would let me play a part, God, would you show me? Would you use me? Because I don't have a clue, but I'm just going to pray and open myself. Well, he had this route and has had this route. I think he's still doing it for many, many years. And every once in a while, he'd start... You know, he'd see kids playing in the yard. He'd see a dad working on the car, working in the yard. He'd see moms outside doing stuff. And, and he'd just say hello to people and be friendly. And sometimes it was more than a hello. He'd get a conversation going. And over time, over many years sometimes, they would actually develop a relationship with the mailman. And then invariably, with the people that he connected with and actually had relationships with, they would sometimes really talk. You know what it is to really talk? Right? They'd really talk. And they would share their problems, and Jim would share his problems. But he would add this when he shared his problems. He would be honest. He'd say, well, you know, I got problems like you, and I just don't know what I would do without Jesus. That's all he did. Just laid it out there. I, I got problems too, man. I don't know what I would do without Jesus. And sometimes people would respond. Sometimes they wouldn't. But actually, he says lots of people eventually would ask him about this. They'd say, Jim, how does this Jesus thing help you with your life? I mean, I thought, meaning, you know, if you have Jesus in your life, doesn't that mean you have this big, happy smile on your face all the time that you never have any problems? But you're telling me that you've got Jesus in your life, but you have stuff and Jesus helps you? Some of them would ask, Jim, I'd like to know how that works. How does that happen in your life? And Jim the mailman... <laughs> would tell them in practical terms. He would just use his story. Like, he, he didn't know a bunch of theology. He didn't know how to parse the Greek tense. Um, he wasn't arguing with people or debating, quoting scripture at them. No, he just told them his story. And lots of people, in response to his story, would say to him, Jim, you know, I'd like some of that. See, and that is ministry, friends. That is the ministry right there. In fact, Jim did things that other people would normally have a quote-unquote professional pastor do. He married people's children off. <laughs> he, he spoke at people's funeral. Because he understood his call, and it wasn't being a mailman. It was just being a person who was experiencing the life, the love of God, and figuring out simple, natural ways. And sometimes it took time to figure it out, but simple, natural ways to give away the love and the grace of Jesus in the context of his ordinary life. Now, here's how I want to close and give you a chance to respond. In fact, um, Jeff, will you come?
You know, when we have new staff join the team here, uh, or, or we have some new elders, we bring them up front, we pray over them, we commission them. You know how we do that? You guys did that for me when I became lead pastor earlier uh, this year, I believe, is when we did the commissioning. Um, we did that when Jim came on board, and we've done that for, for our youth pastor, Will, uh, or for our new elders as well. Uh, it's important. We commission people. We set them aside um, for ministry, and it's a powerfully symbolic thing to do. Uh, it's a good thing. It's an appropriate thing. We're going to keep doing that. But today I want to do something that I haven't seen uh, us do here before, and maybe it happened before I was here. But I want to publicly acknowledge, I want to commission and bless each one of you this morning as you go out there into your world, into your job, into your family, your mission field this week. I want to commission you. In fact, I'm going to ask uh, Jim and Troy, uh, come on up and join me. Any elders that are in the room that want to come on up here and just kind of stand across the front facing that way. Um, and the rest of you, I'm going to ask you all to stand. Go ahead and stand up this morning. It's a little different for Hope, but we're flexible people. <laughs> And we want to commission you this morning. Um, and we ask you, what we're going to do is ask all of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, we want you to come forward. Now, for some of you, that's going to feel weird, but I don't care. Just, <laughs> just come forward. If you start coming now, just come up front here and lie in the front, and we'll have these guys back up a little bit to make room for everybody to come forward. If you are a follower of Jesus, we want to commission you, and, and we want you to come forward so we can commission and pray for you. Um, again, if you are somebody that's a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, uh, come on up. Um, if you're visiting and you're not a part of Hope, but you are a follower of Jesus, you can come too. This is not a thing about, you know, our church. Um, this is for any follower of Jesus, any of us who would maybe even say, hey, listen, uh, you know, um, some of us would say, I, I've, I've been a stay-at-home mom. Uh, I've been a teacher. I work at a store. I work at an office. I work at a factory, and nobody's ever commissioned me in my work. Um, nobody's ever blessed me or seen my work or life as ministry. Well, friends, it is, so we're going to bless you and pray for you. So let's squeeze up front here in the front a little bit more here. Come on in. Come on up and close here. Let everybody slide in wonderful. And what I want to do is I'm going to speak that scripture over us um, and remind us again from 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, you, friends, ready? You, all y'all, are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people that belongs to God. You've been called by God. And the reason that he called you was so that you could proclaim the praises of this God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's your mission. That's what you are commissioned with. You get to proclaim with your living, with your loving, with your working, through your actions, through your speaking, the love of Jesus for everyone around us. That's your mission. And so the symbolism here of commissioning, I think, is very powerful. What I want you to do, two things. I want you to put your hands out like this. And now, because we're sending you out, I want you to turn around and face the back door, okay? So face the back door with your hands out. 
and we're just going to take a couple minutes and pray over you. And I want you just to pray in your heart and, and offer yourself to Jesus, and then I'm going to bless you in a moment. And by the way, as you're facing out, if it doesn't dawn on you, I'm having you face out because where we're going is out there. That's the mission field, out beyond our doors. So take a moment and just commit yourself to Jesus in this, and then I'm going to commission and pray over each of you. pray over each of you. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. I thank you for the men and women in this room right now who love you, who are wanting more and more to become the kind of people who experience your heart and your love and your grace and give it away. And, and Jesus, right now, as we are all in the process of learning these things and what it looks like in our everyday, ordinary life, we set ourselves aside, we commit ourselves to you, and in Jesus' name, I bless and commission my brothers and sisters to take the life and the love that they are experiencing and to give it away, to go and give it in their families, their neighborhoods, their schools, their workplaces, on their sports teams, their health clubs, in their relationships, and everywhere they go. Father, by the power of your Spirit, that there would be a profound understanding in us, the people of hope, that out there, out there, outside our walls, that's where the ministry is that you've called all of us to focus on. And God, I have a sense that maybe some have been laboring under this thought in their life that they don't know their call. I don't know my call, or maybe some of them think what they do is not important, that it's insignificant. And so I pray that in Jesus' name, that lie would be lifted and it would be broken, that the lying voice of the accuser that says you don't have anything significant to offer, that that lying voice would be silenced in the name of Jesus Christ. And in Jesus' name, I pray that we would feel a sense of release as we go now from this place to simply love people, to bless people, and we would know that by doing that, it actually makes a difference in the kingdom of God. So, Father, open our eyes to see the people that we are blind to. Open our hearts to those who you intend us to love. And help us to notice. Help us to notice. And so, Father, Father God, in the name of Jesus, we commission, we bless, and we send your people into their real ordinary, everyday lives. We send them with the life and the love and the grace of God. And now, people of hope, I bless and commission you in the name of the Father and the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all the followers of Jesus said, amen, amen.